We're on an eight-week series called The Searching Heart. Now, I'll just tell you how we've, I've designed the series. Is I'm trying to find different areas that all of us have in common, where our heart is searching for something. Uh, our heart is driven towards something. Our heart is longing for something. Our heart wants to embrace something. And if I found out the something, I want to speak in a word that all of us know what I'm talking about and say, oh yeah, my heart searches for that. Oh yeah, my heart searches for that. So the first week we talked about identity. I mean, everybody is searching for identity, and we're going to find it whether we like it or not. Uh, that's universal. Clear across the United States, clear across the world. It's universal. All of us are searching for love. It's universal. Clear across the United States, across the world. I can say I'm searching for love, and I can look at all of you and say you're searching for love as well. There's something in us that is searching for love. We're searching for pleasure, which we talked about last week. It's universal. All of us are wanting this, this, the pleasure. We're searching for strength. We're searching for security. Uh, these are things that we all search for, and it's just an automatic search. We don't get to choose. It's just we're driven towards these things. So if we're driven towards these things, as I'm looking at this series, I'm thinking, well, what does the Bible say about these things that we're searching for? Are those searches put inside of us, maybe by God, if he's our creator? Where do we get this longing? Where do we get these search for these different things? So as we're looking at each of the topics, we'll see if this one is something that all comes in contact with all of us or in common with all of us. Our heart searches for money. Is it wrong? <laughs> I mean, are we wrong? Can I go over to Africa and say, well, America searches for money, but Africa doesn't search for money? Can I go to China and say, well, China doesn't search for money? Can I say, well, I might search for money, but there's people in here that, that are not searching for, for money. This is, this is universal. Our heart automatically searches for money. Ask a question. Why? Have you ever asked that question? Why do we search for money? Well, I had to write it down because I tried to figure out what is the answer of why we're searching for money. So I put, came up with four different points of why we're searching for money. Letter A, money is the master of opportunity. I just sent a daughter down to college in San Diego, and she's planning on going into the medical field. <laughs> I don't know why. It's, that kind of study is just beyond me. But She's going down there for the purpose of possibly being a doctor. She's going down there for the purpose of having opportunity, embracing opportunity for her life to come, full of opportunity. So we took her down there in August. When we took her down there in August, they're going to give the parents the entire tour of the entire campus of what the daughter, my da- our daughter is going to do. But before we get the tour, they pull us into this little cubicle and say, okay, now let's talk about the financial situation. <laughs> and, uh, and then they give us the bill. And I looked at the bill and says, oh, we're paying for all four years all at once? He said, no, sir, that's for a semester. You'll get another one of these in December. I'm like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> all right, this is the land of opportunity. What am I going to do? I'm like, you know, can we bargain a little bit? Let's, let's like pretend, let's just take money out of the picture. Have you ever read the Bible? Did you ever understand the concept of prayer? How about if I pray for you 20 hours a week? I will pray for every teacher, every student for 20 hours a week. If you look in Scripture, you'd understand the power of prayer. And let's just replace that instead of the dollars. <laughs> they look at, no, you cough it up. You haven't read the Scripture? No, you cough the money. Opportunity comes with dollars. It's the world we live in. Money is a master of comfort. I hiked up the state of Washington on the Pacific Crest Trail and the first time that I went, I did half the state, and I'll tell you that I got 
um, extremely tired, wasted, because I had a really heavy backpack. So the next time I hiked the other half, I said, I've got to do some things different. The number one thing is I've got to lighten my weight. It's expensive to lighten your weight. <laughs> you know, if you get a really light tent, well, if you have a heavy tent, it's a lot cheaper than to buy a light tent. So I spent, my wife here, <laughs> she would say amen, I don't want her to say amen too loud. I spent some money to try to get my pack lighter for the purpose of comfort. Well, I got closer to the end and thinking, okay, I'm going to get ready to hike, and I don't have a jacket under a pound. And I'll tell you, you're counting ounces when you want to light your pack. Don't have a jacket under a pound, but there's one for eight ounces for $220. And I'm like, I, eight ounces? Well, wait a second. It's, it's August. Now, if it's August, I'm not going to need a jacket. So I either buy one for 220 for safety, or I just don't even bring a jacket because there's no way I'm going to carry one over a pound. So I made the decision to save my dollars. Well, I knew I was going to camp at 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet, and when I got in there in the middle of August at 7,000 feet, I will tell you that it was freezing at night. But that's not the worst of it. What happens is it's very hot in the day, and you put a backpack on, and you walk all day, and your shirt just gets absolutely completely soaked, wet. And because what you're doing, you're, you're sweating in your shirt. Well, you only get two shirts. Remember, we're working for light. So you get a hiking shirt and you get a sleeping shirt. First day I went, I hiked, and I tell you, my shirt was drenched to the core. I mean, completely wet. Sure enough, I set up my tent. Night comes, and I tell you, it gets freezing cold. I wake up in the morning, put my shirt out to dry. There's ice crystals on my wet shirt that did not dry. And I sat there and froze as I put my tent together. And then I'm like, I have a dry shirt on now, but if I wear this shirt, it's going to get wet, and then I won't have a dry shirt tomorrow. In the morning before the sun rose, I took that wet, crystallized, frozen shirt and put it on. I would have paid 450 for that jacket. <laughs> Money buys comfort. I mean, we can't argue with that, can we? Money is a master of security. We've seen what's taking place in the news. America pulled out of Syria, and the second that America pulled out of Syria to protect the Kurds, well, all of a sudden Turkey is going to war with them. Well, why did all of this war take place? It's because as long as we have soldiers in there, we've got a multi-billion dollar army that's going to take out Turkey if they're going to attack us while we're there. There's money behind that, and this money brought the security. But when they pull out, all of a sudden, taking place, going to war, money buys. Money is a master, a master of security. Money is a master of fortune. You can get what you want from it. Why do we love money? Because it is a master of many things. What does the Bible say about money? Money is a longing for all of us, and money is a master of things in this world. What does the Bible say about money? Just a really fast general statement of what the Bible says about money. This is what it says. Every person who is mastered by money is broke. Money's not necessarily bad. But if you're mastered by money, who thinks it's the master, is you're broke. You're bankrupt completely. Look at number two. Money is a master of everything except the inside of a person. We can talk about, yeah, money, it's a master. It does master a lot of things, but it does not master the inside of a person. What do I mean by that? Money could buy a bed, but it really can't buy any sleep. Money could buy books, but you can't buy a brain that reads the books. Money can buy food, but it can't buy an appetite, so what good is food if there's no appetite to even consume it? 
Money can buy finery, but it really can't buy beauty. It can buy a house, but it can't buy a home, but yet the home is what we're longing for, not necessarily even the house, because if we can't have a home in the house, who really wants a house? Money can buy medicine, but it can't buy health. Money can buy pleasure, but it can't buy peace. Luxuries, but not happiness. Amusement, but not joy. Money is a master to the outside, but it doesn't minister to the inside. One person that knew this more than anybody that's ever walked on this earth was King Solomon. The reason why? Because he had more money than you can possibly ever dream about. I mean, a thousand wives. I mean, so much money, so much pleasure, so much anything he wants. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, he wrote an entire book about it. And in the book, Ecclesiastes says, I refuse my eyes nothing that the desire. I just took them and took them and took them. But what happened with King Solomon in regards to money? Money made him mad. Money made him angry. There's three different principles of what made him angry about money. It made him angry. It made him mad because he couldn't keep it. <laughs> he had it, but he knew someday it was going to be completely gone, that he couldn't keep it. Money made him mad because he couldn't protect it. started to go, even though he had all of it. People started consuming. He couldn't protect it. I'm going to die, and my kids are going to have it. I can't even protect it. I can't even control it after I leave. And the whole book is written about it. Made him mad because he couldn't enjoy it. He had all of it, and it just would not go on the inside. He had it, but it would not go on the inside. Go look at a passage in Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 20, and I want to read the passage. And you can sense Solomon's feelings about money. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. It, what benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to harm its, own, harm its owner or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since, toils, since he toils for the wind? All this days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. There's a complaining person. But then all of a sudden the passage changes, and we'll talk about this change. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him, for this is his lot in life. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Look at the first verses, 10 through 17. You hear a complainer, you hear a whiner. I have money, but it's not enough. I love money and I'm not satisfied with it, frustrated with it. As goods increase, it seems like everybody else just shows up and consumes them. Stock markets fall, I build it up, it goes down. 
What benefits are my good except I get to feast my eyes on him? He's saying it doesn't touch his heart and he's frustrated and angry with it. I'm abundantly rich and that is the reason I can't sleep at night. Look at the verse. He says some people are poor and they sleep great. Some people have little, no abundance, and they sleep great. But I'm rich and because of it I can't sleep at night. Why? Because money is ruling them and controlling them. Naked I come in my mother's womb and naked I leave. Cannot take anything with me. Takes nothing from his labor he can carry in his hand. I toil just for wind. All this is like for nothing. Eat in darkness, frustrated, afflicted, and angry. Money is a master, but it doesn't provide what it promises that it will provide because it doesn't minister to the whole person. And it is very deceptive because uh, it ministers to me and it could give something to me, but it doesn't minister to the whole person. In fact, earthly riches are full of poverty because they don't touch the soul. There's nothing bad in riches. There's nothing bad in wealth. It's poverty because it doesn't go as deep as we want to. We have an expectation of money. And the expectation is we're going to have joy, we're going to have happiness, we're going to have peace, we're going to have comfort, we're going to have security, we're going to have everything that money has to offer, but everything that it promises, it just doesn't cough up. It just doesn't turn out. Number three, our search for money is a search for internal satisfaction, but satisfaction only comes when God grants it. We use money for the purpose of getting satisfaction. And I would say that that search for money is that we want to be satisfied. Satisfied with our security. Satisfied with our comfort. Satisfied with our fortune. Satisfied with what we buy. That's all we're searching for. And we think that money is the key. Is it? Let's look at this passage again. Now, Ecclesiastes is very difficult to interpret and to understand. And the reason why Ecclesiastes is difficult is because the guy sounds pretty schizophrenic. And what I mean by that is Solomon starts to just download and complain, and he just gives you a whole bunch of garbage. Just like I said, I'm not satisfied. Goods increase. People take them. I'm naked. Naked I come. Naked I leave. Toil for the wind. So you see him just completely complaining. And he does this consistently in his book. He will just completely complain, but then his mind just switches. And whenever he switches... Remember, he's the wisest guy that's ever walked on the earth as well. Whenever it switches, he gives the answer to his questions. It's really weird. He complains about it, and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I just figured it out, and then gives the answer to his questions, and then he'll complain again. So here he complains. What's his answer to the question about complaining about money? This is the answer. Then I realized. (laughs) See the schizophrenia? (laughs) Da 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 da. Hey hey hey. Boo. Then all of a sudden, I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink, and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him, for this is his lot in life. And then he says something directly from God. Moreover, I'm going to explain it again. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions. And then what? And chooses to enable him to enjoy it. Allows him to enable him to enjoy it. Grants him permission to enjoy it. You see what just took place? If God gives possessions and then enables him to enjoy it, or 
continue the verse, allows him to accept his lot or chooses to allow him to accept his lot and permits him to be happy with the fortune that was given to him. Do you see what's taking place? See what's going on? This is his work and it is a gift from God. And then look at verse 20. He seldom reflects on the days of his life. This person seldom does. He sleeps at night. He doesn't worry about his future. He is relaxed. He seldom reflects the days of his life because God keeps him so occupied with a glad heart that he really doesn't have to worry about anything. You see what happened is that yes, he complained and all of a sudden he got an answer. What is his answer? The answer is God chooses to give what people think money has to offer. We search for money because we want what? Satisfaction. God says, it doesn't come from that. I'm going to choose to give you satisfaction. Give you an example. God might say, I want you to win the lottery. And I want you to win the lottery, therefore you're going to win the lottery. And as you win the lottery, I'm going to choose that you have happiness with the lottery. And guess what's going to take place? You're going to win the lottery and you're going to be the happiest person on earth. Why? Because God chooses you to be happy with the lottery. A guy could say, I'm going to give you the lottery. And the guy could also say, with that lottery, I'm going to choose that you'll be the most miserable person on earth. And do you know what's going to happen? You can have all the fortune and still be the most miserable person on earth. Because satisfaction doesn't come from the dollar amount or the money. There's another master. And this is the master of the whole person the outside and inside, and he does specifically what he chooses. He can look at you and say, I'm going to choose you to feel really, really rich and have you not have any money. He can do that. He did it with Paul. Paul was what? He was in prison. And Paul says, I am the richest person in the world. Consistently through Scripture we see it. I'm going to choose you to be really, really rich, and these people have absolutely nothing. Somebody made a comment that the richest person in the world is somebody who appreciates a new pair of shoes. That's what God, that's God working. I will choose you to be rich and you don't have anything. Or I'm just going to choose that you can be a millionaire and have absolutely everything. And I think I'll choose that you will be absolutely miserable. See, it doesn't matter about the money because there's another master. Money is a master, but it's not the master that ministers to the whole person. And so for us to be consumed and thrown into the concept that money is the master to give us these things and forget God, which they did in the Old Testament, which we're doing in the United States even right now, and forget God, satisfaction will never come. And the statement that those who are mastered by money are broke is a true statement. I'm satisfied with opportunity, whether I have a lot or a little. God can do that. You can be satisfied with comfort whether you have a lot or little. God just makes a decision. You can be satisfied with security whether you have a lot of security or little. I could still give you the complete satisfaction. Be satisfied with fortune whether you have a lot or little. All satisfaction comes, according to this passage, with a granting from God. You'll receive it or you won't. Number four, don't be mastered by money. Be mastered by God. The ability to enjoy life comes from within. It doesn't come from without. So you might as well go to the correct master. Money is a master, but is it the correct master? Nobody talked about money more than Jesus. 
because he knew that it was a threat to people's soul. It was a threat that people would lay down their lives for that master rather than him, and therefore he made this statement on the Sermon on the Mount. Sums up money. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You notice it doesn't say God and Satan? (laughs) Satan doesn't promise comfort. He doesn't promise security. He wants nothing to do with that. He just wants you to step away from God, and he knows that the source would actually be money. If you can love it, then you really don't need God. But there is a competition that has taken place. What does the word serve mean? Serve means yield obedience to, give yourself up to. This is what I'm laying down my life for, what I'm given to. We do that with money. We give our family up for it. We give everything up for it. We give our minds, our thoughts, our sleep up for it. That's saying don't do that. Don't yield yourself to that. Yield yourself specifically to me. And I will tell you that money and God are going two different directions. Sacrifice over greed, giving instead of hoarding, selfishness over selflessness. You see, they're going two different directions. They're going two different directions. We can really tell on which one we're being mastered by. Am I being mastered by God or am I being mastered by money? Remember what takes place. They're going two opposite directions. So it's actually pretty easy to figure out. But it's not easy to always do. So asking the question, this is a question I ask myself because I live in this world and I use money, live on money. So I ask myself, am I being mastered by money? And how do I know if I'm being mastered by money? Years ago, I wrote out a a test um, to see if I was being mastered because I don't know about you, but I have to consistently put in mind mind, whether I'm being mastered by money or being mastered by God, and I want to know the answer so I can do something about it. So I wrote out this, this test, and I put it in my Bible, and I read it pretty consistently, mostly when I start thinking that, you know, is God my first love or is something else my first love? And here's the test I want to give you. Here's the question. It'd be how do you know if you're mastered by money? Here's a test that I just kind of look at in my life. Number one, you're mastered by money if you sin to get it. It's going two opposite directions. God's going two opposite directions. If I sin to get money, I've got somebody controlling me. I've got something moving me. I've got something driving me. And it's not God if I sin to get it. In fact, if I sin to get it, I'm being mastered by it. Here's another one. If you're stingy at giving it, it's black and white. If I have a headache, what I do is I take Tylenol, I take Advil, and it fixes the headache. If you are being mastered by money, the best way to get rid of it is to give it away. And the ultimate way to get rid of it, and it shouldn't even be said, is you give it, you give it to God. You give it to God. Am I being mastered by money? Ask the question. Am I giving money to God? Am I not giving money to God? Refusing to give money to God, I said, well, you definitely have a master, and it's, it's not God. All the way through Scripture, give it, and when you give it, what takes place? You're making a statement who your master is. But let's go a little bit beyond that. When I go to the restaurant, I have to tip heavy. <laughs> reason why I have to tip heavy is because my wife tips heavy, and whenever she tips heavy, I get stingy. I'm like, oh, come on. And you know, it's like, do we have to give that much? Do we have to give that amount? And then I start thinking, well, you know, how, how good was she or how good was he? And, and, and as I start putting these things in my mind, I tell you, I could justify anything. <laughs> I can easily take dollars off of justifying it. 
And finally came to the conclusion, it's like, you know what, I'm being mastered by money. Why? Because I'm being stingy with it. So now when I go to a restaurant, (laughs) they always have to get a heavy tip. And you don't have to make that goal, but I have to make the goal. And the reason why I have to make the goal is because I'm going to be mastered. And is it going to be money? And what statements am I going to make in my life to tell myself that I am not? If you're stingy with it, you're being mastered by it. Let us see if you never have enough of it. How much money is enough? You know what? There's an answer to that question. You know what the answer is? Just a little bit more than you have right now. <laughs> so you can have um, $100 million, and how much is enough? Just a little bit more than you have right now. Or you can have, you know, $40,000 a year. How much is enough? Well, if I could just have that little raise that would just get me to the point. See, Solomon said it. He said, oh, I'm being mastered by money if we're just never just satisfied. You just got to have more. This is something that convicts me consistently. Another one, if you love to flaunt it, we believe that money comes, gives us status. And when it gives us status and we flaunt it, we're saying we're getting our status from something else rather than God. What is my status? What is my position? What is my person, my example in life? I'll tell you what it should be, tell you what it must be is that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth to save a lonely, lost, selfish, unrighteous person like myself. He left heaven and he came to earth and he died in my stead, putting all my sins on the cross and raising again and walking with me through life and loving me in spite of who I am consistently. What's my status? That's my status. That's my status. A no good rotten sinner saved by amazing grace. But yet money, you know, it offers something else. When you start flaunting it, you're saying, well, this is my source of status. You're loving it. Letter E, if you take advantage of people to receive it, you get the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and just like it, love others as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments that are always in our faces, and money competes it a little bit. In fact, we live in a culture where we are really supposed to use money to bless people, but we literally use people to get money. That's kind of the culture we live in. So as Christians, as believers, we can see it. I will tell you that this test confronts me on a weekly basis. And I just want to challenge you to understand the concept of money. Because every person who is mastered by it is broke. And I don't want to be broke. I want to sleep at night. I want joy. I want satisfaction. I do not want to be broke. God chooses to give what people think money has to offer. And it doesn't come from its source. God chooses to give it. Don't be ruled by money. Be ruled by God is specifically what we're supposed to be doing. Money is always an issue because our heart always searches for it. But it is a dangerous issue that we've got to keep in check. God, we just thank you for being the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, God, for taking the power to give satisfaction or to take it away. God, you are a gracious God. You are a merciful God. There's just something about sitting at your feet underneath your authority, knowing that you can grant us peace, you can grant us joy, you can grant us happiness, you can grant us wealth, 
and money has absolutely no control. I just pray, God, that as Christians, as believers, that we feed on that concept. In Christ's name, amen.